0: The Cambridge Marketing Podcast with Kieran Kapoor, brought to you by Cambridge Marketing College. See their range of courses and apprenticeships at marketingcollege.com.
1: Hello and welcome. My guest today is Stuart Gillis from 7th Wave, who describes himself as a generative listener and a time to think facilitator and a coach. And we're going to be talking about how to make meetings more effective. Stuart, welcome. I will come on in a moment to what a generative listener is, because that's very intriguing. But can we start with why meetings are such a big bugbear for people?
0: Hi, thanks. Uh, Thanks for the invite on as well. Um, Well, I guess meetings are such a bugbear because they're so inefficient, I guess. I I worked for nearly 40 years. I'm sure I don't sound old enough to have done so. But anyway, so I worked for 40 years in various different roles corporately and lost count quite early on to the number of inefficient meetings that i would sit through and probably endure i guess as a number of your listeners probably do because they're normally rammed with very boring sounding agenda points that maybe don't have any bearing on your job responsibilities Um, it's also the, the same few team members unfortunately who tend to sort of dominate discussions And they rarely keep to time uh, and even more rarely end in any sort of progress or a a decision being made. I guess um, from my memory anyway and from the businesses that I work with, the organisations that I support now, what's even more concerning is that their businesses run via those meetings. I'm sure i read somewhere recently that on average, a colleague in a sort of corporate organisation can spend up to maybe 25 to nearly 30 hours a week in meetings. And I guess that sort of begs the question, when do they actually have the time to do their job if they're sitting in inefficient (laughs) meetings for such a large proportion of their working week?
1: Okay, so why do you think companies have meetings? I mean, there's lots of reasons. I know I sit in meetings that I actually just need to have minuted for um, regulation purposes, because I need to prove that I have discussed or done something. But there are other reasons for having meetings. So why do people feel they have to have meetings? I think a
0: a large portion of it is it's habit, so that they have a, a, say, a weekly sales meeting, or they have a diarised meeting to sort of catch up and ensure that information is cascaded so they tend to happen for that reason more than anything else that tends to be the if you ask the question why are you holding this meeting the question tends to be well because we always have that's just the way that we do things around here so to speak so it's one of the it's one of the main questions you should ask yourself is what's the purpose of the meeting what are we um, hoping to gain from bringing the team together because there's a cost involved in doing that, bringing the team together. So if you're gonna bring a team together and spend money, essentially, then there has to be a return on that investment. So first question, why are we holding this meeting? What are we aiming to gain from it? Uh, And as you say, if there's a a particular reason, uh, uh, a reason around compliance, etc., then then great, hold the meeting. Um, But don't do it if it's purely out of habit that it's you hold the weekly meeting because it's the weekly meeting
1: okay so the other thing you said was uh, the same people tend to dominate so doesn't that mean that's actually a problem of chairing the meeting rather than having a meeting
0: oh yeah certainly yeah i mean the 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 premise from time to think nancy klein's work around the thinking environment is that the 10 components of a thinking environment and and one of those 10 compo- components is equality. If, if you treat one another within the meeting as a thinking equal, then you should split the time within the meeting and within each agenda point, you should split the time equally so that everybody has the, at least the opportunity to contribute within the meeting. That way you get everybody's attention and you get everybody's contribution and if you're invited to the meeting um, you should be there because your views and your opinions and your experience is welcomed and will contribute to the overall decision-making process within the meeting so organizations unfortunately run um, whether we like it or not on hierarchies And that hierarchy can, unfortunately, affect the efficiency of meetings. So that component of equality is absolutely crucial amongst all the the other nine as well, clearly, but is absolutely crucial to ensuring that you get a contribution from everybody um, and that everyone is treated as a thinking equal.
1: So how do you make people feel comfortable in that? I mean, I'm thinking of my own office staff where you've got people that are actually want to listen, hear, mull over and then come out with, a, with an idea, which may in fact be after the meeting because they need time to think. Whereas you've got others that are very quick thinking in meetings, they're very comfortable with that. You've got people that may not want to be comfortable talking up in front of other people. They may have a bright idea and you can see it perhaps, but they don't want to say it in front of other people. So how do you get over that?
0: That's a great question. The 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 first consideration is that everybody is um beautifully individual and unique, aren't they? So clearly not everyone is going to feel comfortable with raising their ideas or concerns in front of the group. Um you can become more comfortable with that if you start to build in routines and and rules is too strong a word, but essentially a way of operating that ensures that Um, people are given first the opportunity to contribute and then over time uh, given a greater degree of comfort that their views are going to be welcomed and not ridiculed. Um, So one way is to introduce rounds of appreciation um, and to ensure that rounds, which is essentially giving each person an equal opportunity in turn to give their view on a particular subject, at least given the opportunity anyway, um, whether they choose to initially in, or in the first meeting give that point of view, because they may be more reflective uh, and they may be concerned about how their uh, point of view would be received by other members of the team, at least given them the opportunity within the round uh, to raise their their voice find their voice. Um, After the round you can then ask for everyone's freshest thinking. It gives those that require more time just to reflect and think and let things permeate the opportunity to come in at the end with their thoughts on what's being discussed once everyone else has, has spoken. But rounds are a really great way Um, structured rounds of equal time are a really great way to ensure that everybody at least is given the opportunity to contribute so
1: that's literally going round the table
0: yep quite literally going round the table in order with a commitment that nobody else will speak again until everybody else has had an opportunity to speak
1: and does that work even for the the ones the people that want to think something over who often have often come up with the you know the greatest and most thought provoking ideas but may just need more
0: time it it does once they become those individuals and everyone else becomes more comfortable with the with the way of operating it it's like anything else it's a, a it's a new habit that you need to a new routine that you need to build. And whenever there's a new routine or a new habit, you need to be comfortable with not being very good at it to start with before you build up your capability. So it feels it can feel clunky to kick off with. And it is a, a regular challenge in the organizations that I support and work with that they say, well that just that just take that will take too much time. Well the complete reverse is true that actually it takes less time because what you end up with is less repetition. You end up with less single individual or groups of people dominating the conversation and and carrying on uh, talking for ages and eating into the precious agenda time. And you then end up with everybody contributing. And as I say, if you have a round of freshest thinking allows those members of the team who need more time to think it through then you, you capture everybody's best thinking.
1: Okay, so the other thing you said was agenda items tend to be quite repetitive, and I think, in fact, you used the word boring. So are there <laughs> ways of structuring an agenda so you structure the meeting better?
0: Yeah, absolutely. First and foremost, you need to be absolutely ruthless with your agenda. The, uh, and when I mean ruthless, you need to look through your agenda items and be absolutely clear that that agenda item is gonna add value to the discussion. If it's a simple download, so an agenda item might be, uh, as a suggestion, last year's performance figures, then that should just be sent out as an email. And there should be sufficient trust within the organisation and team that if something is sent out that needs to be pre-read in advance of of the meeting as a download, there should be sufficient trust that every single member of the team will do that will read through what they need to read through or it might be a new set of procedures that need to be implemented again there needs to be sufficient trust that that can be sent out as a download there's no discussion required this is a it's a um a new way of operating that the board have agreed to perhaps and no discussion required it's a simply this is what how we are now going to operate send it out as an email because no discussion is required within the meeting and the second thing to do so after you've been ruthless and and cut out maybe 20 30 40 percent of your agenda items all remaining agenda items need to be framed as a question we uh, we work so much better in the presence of a question the brain works better in the presence of a question So if you frame your agenda items as questions and circulate that agenda in advance, even subliminally, you will get people thinking about their response and their thoughts about that agenda item before they attend the meeting. And that is another way of giving those that are more reflective the opportunity to think in advance of what their thoughts or response might be to that agenda item. And if you can't raise it, if you can't raise the agenda item as a question, you can't frame it as a question, you probably need to question whether it's a download or whether it's the discussion point. And if it's a download, it really shouldn't be on the agenda.
1: So is there yeah. an optimum length of time for for a meeting?
0: I think that there's lots of suggestions that anything over three hours, then you'll start to lose the audience. But I guess it depends on what the the agenda points and what the overall objective of the meeting is. In organisations that I've worked with previously, they have some rules that suggest that meetings should only take an hour. They should only have three agenda points and any presentations should be three slides or fewer. And they work really well in fast-moving organisations that that are constantly um, looking to move forward. Other businesses i've I've worked in and businesses that I support have whole day meetings when they're maybe bringing a, a team that's spread across the country. They're bringing them together on a monthly or quarterly basis, and there's a lot a perceived lot that they need to go through. you can You can still clearly obviously find time to save within those meetings. One thing I have found is that the move across to this hybrid working has asked, um, prompted an awful lot of companies to ask the question, are our meetings effective? Are there better ways of operating it? And online meetings tend and need to be shorter because of the challenges of operating to a screen when you're not in the in the same room physically, so to speak. But I would suggest keeping your meetings short sharp with really clearly focused objectives and agendas mean you'll always get better outcomes
1: because there was a big movement about making meetings sort of 50 minutes rather than an hour wasn't there that's supposed to give people more downtime between meetings
0: yeah it comes back to the original question i guess of the amount of time that people spend in meetings you know up to nearly 30 hours a week out of a supposed 37 and a quarter or 40 hour working week that's an awful lot of time spent between meetings. i go back to the time is probably unimportant. It's the way that you operate within the meeting and what you're gaining from it. So if you're gaining lots of return on investment for bringing that team together for three hours, four hours or a whole day, then, then continue doing that. If you're not getting value and return on investment, you probably need to look to change. And that's whether it's an you're currently doing a 50 hour, a 50 minute meeting, or whether you're doing a whole day meeting, uh, what are you aiming to gain from it? And are you, do you feel that you're getting value, return on investment from that, that time together as a team?
1: So purpose rather than worrying about the sort of practicalities, if you've started with the purpose and you'll understand why you're having the meeting, the rest of it will fall out, would that be fair?
0: Oh yeah, certainly. That's always the first question to ask why.
1: Okay, I have to ask about generative listener. You describe yourself as a generative listener. What does that mean?
0: I probably need to give some context in that I was a, like many, I think I was a competitive listener previously, in that I would serially interrupt people. Um, I found myself interrupting my children, my partner or wife and people that I work with because Um, we operate in a very hierarchical society and we're taught from a very early age that almost he who shouts loudest gets the best service or that Mm -hmm. um, why bother listening to the end of someone's sentence when you know what they're going to say. And through my reading of Nancy Klein's work a number of years ago, it taught me to recognise that that's the last thing that you need to be. Uh, particularly as a parent and when you're when you're working in a team your job is to help the person in front of you think clearly for themselves and interrupting is a blight on that so I pride myself now on my promise to myself which I don't always keep it's fair to say but my promise to myself that I won't interrupt people that I will uh, listen to what it is that they're saying and I will reflect on that before responding and um, It's led to huge improvements in my relationships with Everybody that I I know and love and it's I wish I'd learned it years ago. I would suggest um, I might have even better relationships particularly with my children if I interrupted them less when they were younger
1: it's quite interesting the non-interruption because one of the things you can do is you can drain yourself not to interrupt but actually your brain is sitting there going and when you've stopped talking i can say my bit um so there is definitely there's two steps to that isn't there there's not interrupting and there is what you said which is listening to the end of the sentence
0: yeah certainly there's um nancy suggests that there are three things at play three levels of attention the first thing is you're as you say you're listening to the content of what they're saying um, you're listening and considering your response to that, what it, how it makes you feel, how it potentially triggers you, what you're going to say next. And then there's the third level, which is where you are considering how you're supporting the other person's thinking. And that's your attention, that's the generative attention, that you are genuinely intrigued by where the person is going to go next. And in the coaching that I do, my coaching practice with clients, I found that where I'm operating equally across those three considerations, the the client's thinking takes huge leaps forward in terms of their them feeling supported that they can come to their own conclusions without my interaction, without my um, interruption. And it's... Nancy describes it as a paradox, and I can't think of a better way of describing it. Really, it's a paradox that when you're when you're working with somebody, even as a thinking partner or as a, in a thinking partnership or as a client and coach relationship, it suggests that your um, your presence actually isn't required because people can think for themselves. But actually, it's the being listened to that ignites. The person's abilities to be able to think. So, that paradox is that you're completely a surplus to requirements, but that person couldn't think clearly if you weren't there listening to them. And it's the, it's, I find that intriguing. I found it a wonderful experience to discover that and continue to enjoy watching that in that paradox in action, working with and listening to the organisations and the clients that I work with.
1: So how can you take that back to a meeting situation? So presumably, is it useful to be a generative listener in a meeting, or do you need to have different hats on?
0: I think first, first and foremost, in any team, in any team environment, whether it's one-to-ones, group activities or, or team meetings, the ability to be able to generatively listen and encourage the other person to keep thinking for themselves, is absolutely crucial it's a foundation of of good team working um, because ultimately we organizations unfortunately they don't get the best from their people because they they don't listen to them you know we companies recruit and then indoctrinate and and people lose their individuality because they feel that they need to conform to the way that that organise, organisation operates. And it was once said a number of years ago to I me and it always stuck with me, that when two people in an organisation agree on something, one of them is surplus to requirements, <laughs> which sounds quite harsh, but actually at its base level, that's absolutely true. We should be, as organisations, uh, human endeavour takes and human achievement takes huge leaps forward when people disagree because you you need to listen to other points of view in order to step out from your this is going to sound like a cliche but step out from your comfort zone and way of thinking and consider another option and then during that debate and discussion not disagreement but debate and discussion you potentially and quite frequently Find a third way forward that's even better than the two polarized views where you started from.
1: So, is that something one should be managing within a meeting that you can allow that sort of debate and discussion, or do you have that outside the meeting and issue it as your 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 download or email? I mean, where does this fit in within a meeting structure?
0: Well, well, essentially, I've sat in many meetings and and been told or heard suggested to other attendees that when they raise a concern that that issue should be taken offline Mm. and taken outside of the meeting. And what that tends to be, nine times out of ten, is code for I don't want to have this disagreement in public. And that's the complete reverse of what should happen. What What should happen is that disagreement should be encouraged and that difference of opinion needs to be out in the open for to, for the team to be healthy and to move forward. So yes, there are, there are ways of managing that more effectively, but the first thing is to encourage the disagreement, um, but do it in a way that's respectful without interruption and to allow everybody to have their point of view heard within the boundaries of the time that you've set out. And there are different strategies that you can adopt on that round is one, to ensure that everyone's point of view is is taken on board. But also there are um, thinking partnerships, which is another intervention that you can use where you would you break the team down into pairs and they think about as a pair, they think about a particular question and then bring that back to the group. So there are different um, and other strategies that you can adopt to in, in order to give the team faith that their true opinions won't be disregarded or held against them, which is even worse.
1: Yes, you can see how that would sort of cut down debate. Thank you, Stuart, for those insights. If um, somebody listening thinks, right, I really want to start making my meetings more productive, have you any sort of hints and tips that they could start with?
0: Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. So um, I'd probably think about, I mean, a sort of my top five, if you like. So Mm -hmm. I would say uh, always ask that question, do you need the meeting? which we've spoken about previously, so just because it always takes place on the first Tuesday of the month doesn't mean that you necessarily need to have it every single time. Um, I've said this previously as well, be absolutely ruthless with your agenda. Um, if it's a download or directive, just trust your colleagues to read the email and it saves real time for the three Ds, You know, the, the debate, the disagreement and the decision-making process within the meetings. Um, frame your agenda points as questions, circulate that in advance. It gets all of your ad- agen- um, your attendees thinking about that well in advance of the meeting. Um, the, my problem in my top, one of these top five advice for um, or observation for organisations is get better at disagreeing. You know, organisations who are really comfortable with disagreeing unearth so much more information and points of view and when you hear from everybody regardless of their position in the organization businesses take a huge leap forward and my final one which I think don't think we've spoken about anyway but ban AOB if a subject commands time on the agenda then it, it really should have its own time uh, allotted to it um, I could suggest quite a few more you know appointing a point in the timekeeper instigate rounds which we've spoken about Um, and we have spoken about a little bit about um, appreciation you know starting and ending with appreciation raises the overall thinking of the group focuses more on the positives that are going on currently and that can be a very simple question at the start of the meeting so that might be um, what's one thing that's bringing joy to your life currently and just take a quick round without questions or interruptions from each person just to say one thing that's going really well and that lifts the general mood and perhaps certainly helps the attendees forget the meeting they've just been to and allows them to refocus and be more mindful about what they're uh, about to step into so that works really well. So yeah, we've all
1: top. done that. You come out of a sort of distressing or a difficult meeting or one that's just posed some interesting questions and then you've got to switch into something else. Yes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a great mindful exercise that I would encourage anyone to do, quite frankly. Focus on the positives in your life. The things that you're appreciative of lifts your mood generally anyway.
1: Stuart Gillis, thank you of Seventh Wave. Thank you very much indeed for your time and for those hints and tips and um, general views on how to make meetings uh, more productive. Thank you.
0: Thank you. It's been a pleasure. The Cambridge Marketing Podcast from Cambridge Marketing College, training marketing and PR professionals across the globe.